<clears throat> well, as you know, we've been going through this series of uh, membership matters, talking about what church membership is. And we've seen so far that what the church is, it's the gathered people of God. It is the people of God. It's this universal all-encompassing group of people from all time and all cultures, all places that God calls his people. Yet, although there's this big universal version of the church, we call that the big C church, there's also a bunch of little C churches, right? The local church. It's when you take the universal church and you make it visible in a local community. And we've seen how that's a, biz, a biblical calling that we have to form local churches. And it's a tangible, visible expression of that uh, universal church. And we've seen who can be a member of those local churches. The Bible doesn't have a lot of requirements for that. All you have to do is be born again and be baptized, making that public. That's what it means to be, a, or that's the requirements for being a member of a church. Be born again and be baptized. But once somebody is a member, what's required of them? What's expected of a church member? That's going to be the next few, uh, this is going to be the mini-series within the series. What's expected of a church member? Let me ask you this. Have you ever had one of those stories? I know you've had this experience one way or the other. Either you were on the receiving end of this or the giving end of this. You've heard somebody, they told you, they said, man, I got this such a funny story I want to tell you. And they tell you this story, and by the end of it, it's not funny at all. And then they say, what do they say? Well, I guess you had to be there, right? How awkward is it when you, when you give that story, you tell that joke, and they, it just does not hit. And they're just like, oh, I don't know. And you just say, well, you had to be there. You had to be there. Because there's something about being present during an experience that makes that experience important and special. There's also a debate around, I don't know if you know this, I mentioned football. Um, there's a debate about what's, what's better. What's the better experience when it comes to watching a football game? Is it better to be there at the football game or is it better to watch it on TV? I mean, all logical um, things point to watching it at home on the TV. You see better. You get to know what they're talking about on the field. You have your own bathroom. It's climate controlled. The drinks are free, right? Everything about football is better at home. But I promise you, if you got tickets to a football game, you would go, right? If I had an opportunity to go to a Dallas Cowboys football game, I would go. Even if it was in the nosebleeds. In a, on a freezing cold day, which doesn't happen in Dallas very often, but I would go. Why? Because there's something about being there in person that, that makes that experience precious and special. That's what we're going to be talking about. This first requirement, the basic requirement of a church member or somebody that's part of the ecclesia, the assembly, is that you would assemble together. The first requirement, the basic requirement of being a church member is that you would gather, that you would assemble regularly. Well, today we're going to look at the book of Hebrews. So if you have your Bible, you can turn to the book of Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to read a passage there that you've heard before, I'm sure. We're going to dig in and look at that. But we're going to see that God requires that we regularly gather together as the church for his glory and our good. We're going to see that God requires that we regularly gather together as the church for his glory and our good. So let's read in the book of Hebrews chapter 10, the book of Hebrews chapter 10. 
We're going to start off in verse 19, and we're going to go down through verse 27. So 19 through 27. Book of Hebrews, chapter 10, verses 19 through 27. And it says this, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there is no longer uh, or there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we thank you for this day. We thank you for this word that you've given us this morning that magnifies the work, the glorious work of Christ, and then gives us practical applications of how we might live that out in our lives. God, we pray in this gathering as we get together this morning that you be glorified and honored in everything that we do. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. I think Hebrew, the book of Hebrews is possibly one of the most important books in the New Testament and at the same time one of the most neglected books in the New Testament because it is just really, really heavy, dense Old Testament references. But if you wanted to sum up this complex book in one sentence, it would be this. Hebrews can be summed up in one phrase. Jesus is greater, so hold fast and don't turn away. Jesus is greater, so hold fast and don't turn away. It's structured like this. He just goes through the book saying Jesus is greater than angels. He's greater than Moses. He's greater than the tabernacle and the temple. He's greater than the covenant. It's, it's all about making this argument that Jesus is better than anything you can turn away from and go back to. So when we think about the background of the book of Hebrews that we have to understand as we look at our passage today, in this book, Jesus is greater, so don't turn back. This Hebrew audience that this was written to had the temptation to go back to their former religion. Instead of staying in Christianity, they wanted to go back to, they were tempted to go back to their former Jewish religion. They wanted to go back to their life before Jesus. That might sound familiar to us, right? We just sang a song that says, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Doesn't that ring true to you sometimes? Do you ever feel your heart just prone to go back to the way life was before Jesus or prone to go back to um, the things you would rather live for rather than what Jesus would have you live for? So in this book, he's saying, hey, Jesus is better than anything you can turn to, so don't turn away. In this chapter specifically, chapter 10, Jesus, or he's arguing that Jesus is greater than the sacrificial system. The sacrificial system was an endless repeating of blood sacrifices year in, year out to pay for sin. But Jesus shut that all down with one sacrifice himself to pay for our sins. And then in this specific section, we see this frame of this framework for this passage. In, in the first few verses, he says, Jesus has done so much for you. 
Since he's done that, let's, and then he gives you three let'ses, okay? He gives you three let's statements. He says, let's draw near, let's hold fast, and let's consider one another. We're going to focus on that last one. Let's consider one another. What are we doing when we gather together? And what are some thoughts we can have about these moments when we get together and gather as God's people? We're called to gather. So number one, when we gather, you can think of it this way. Number one, our gathering is grounded in Christ's work. Number one, our gathering is grounded in Christ's work. Verses 19 through 21 describe this awesome work that Jesus has done. And the author does that by comparing Jesus to three things. He says, number one, Jesus is the sacrifice for sin. Verse 19, it says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus... So he references Jesus's blood, meaning that Jesus sacrificed his life. He was the perfect sacrifice for sins. The payment for sin is made. There's no longer any payment that needs to be made because Jesus has made that payment. Jesus is the sacrifice for sin. But also, second, Jesus is the curtain that was torn. The author compares Jesus to the curtain. Look at verse 20. It says, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain. That is his flesh. You're like, what, what curtain are you talking about? Well, there's this place inside of the temple for the Jewish people. In the, in, this, in the hearer's mind, they would have thought, the temple, there's this holy space. The most exclusive room in the entire world is the Holy of Holies. It's where God's presence uh, would dwell in the temple. A priest could go in there once a year to make atonement for sin. And if he didn't do it right, he would literally die. And Jesus is saying, or the author saying, Jesus died for you to pay so that you can enter in that. His body, in the same way, just like his body was ripped, his body was torn, so was that curtain torn in two that we might enter into God's presence. So he says Jesus is the sacrifice, Jesus is the curtain, and then he says Jesus is the priest. He's the guy offering the sacrifice. He's the one going in between us and God, pleading on your behalf. Saying, hey, I paid for them. Let them in. I made atonement for them. They can enter in. So Jesus is, he is the sacrifice. He's the curtain. He's the priest. And we know from this book that he's the God who accepts that sacrifice as well. This is the perfect passage for the Sunday school answer, Jesus, right? Who's the curtain? Jesus. Who's the sacrifice? Jesus. Who's the priest that makes the sacrifice? Jesus. Who's the God that accepts the sacrifice? Jesus. 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 He's making much of the glorious work that Jesus did. And because of that, we can enter in. We can walk into that most exclusive room in existence in the whole world, that holy of holies. We can walk into that and be in God's presence without having fear. Notice he says you can come in with confidence, therefore having confidence. You can confidently walk in with your head up, your chest out, walk right into this room without any fear of consequence. When I say this room, I mean into the presence of the Lord, right? You can walk in with no fear because Jesus has taken that away. Like we said, in the past, entering that room would be the most dangerous thing you could do. Walking into God's presence as a sinful human being would be the most dangerous thing you could do. Not because God is grumpy and just wants to get mad at you for walking on his lawn, right? Walking into his room. It's that his, he is the antithesis to sin. He is so opposite to sin that sin cannot mix with him. And because of what Jesus has done, he's made us righteous so that we can walk in wearing his garments 
and walk in to God's presence. Because of this glorious work, we can do a lot of things. And specifically, because of this work, we can gather together, right? That's the, that's the implication that he's saying. Remember, there's a, a sense, let's shape to this passage. Since Jesus has done this, let's draw near, hold fast, and consider one another not forsaking the gathering, not forsaking the gathering. Jesus is basically saying, or the author's basically saying, Jesus died for you, so you should go to church. That's, a, that's something that Rachel has brought to my attention recently. One strategy Rachel uses uh, to make sure she gets up and go to church in the morning, she wakes up or the night before says, Jesus died for me. I can get up in the morning and go to church, right? And it's kind of a joke. It's kind of funny, but it's biblical, isn't it? That's what the author's doing. Jesus died for you. Therefore, get to the gathering with God's people. That's the implication he's making. Our gathering this morning is grounded in the fact that Jesus died for us. It's what we celebrate when we gather together. It's what makes our gathering possible. It's the purpose for it. All of it is grounded on Jesus' death. Just as as serious as you step your foot on the ground, you feel how solid that is. That's how solid our gathering is together if it's based on Jesus. Our gathering, number one, our gathering is grounded in Christ's work. Number two... Our gathering makes nearness to God a reality. Our gathering makes nearness to God a reality. We are designed to be close to God, and he commands us to get close to him. In verse 22, he says, remember, since Jesus has done all these things, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Drawing near to God. Jesus' sacrifice, or our gathering, makes that nearness to God a reality. See, when we were designed, God made humans and put them in Eden, and then he dwelt with them in the garden, right? He would walk in the garden in the coolness of the day. He would gather with them in the garden. And then after that, after they sinned, they were kicked out and removed. That sin caused them to be removed. Then he put Israel in the promised land, and he made it, told them to make a temple. And in that temple, he would dwell with his people. Guess what happened? They sinned. And they got kicked out of the promised land. They went into exile. And then Jesus, and, and then instead of God making a place and putting people there, he put himself in their place. Jesus took on flesh, came to be with us that he might dwell with us. That's what John 1 says. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, lived with us, tabernacled with us. So we were designed to be close to God, but sin separated us. And now Christ has brought us near. And I want you to think about this. He says, since you have been brought near, you need to draw near. There's this uh, funny way that the Bible speaks. It declares who you are, and then it tells you to live like that. It says, hey, saints. He calls you a saint. And then later on in the book, he says, you need to start living like a saint a little bit better. He says, hey, you're near God. Jesus, because of what he's done, he has drawn you in and you are near to God. Now you need to draw near to him. He declares it over you. You're close to me. Now I want you to snuggle up even closer. Do that. Be intentional about doing that. Draw near to God. Become who you are. And sometimes this nearness to God that we, that's declared over us does not feel like we're near to God. I get that. There's a lot of times I do not feel close to the Lord. And in those moments... We may be tempted when we don't feel close to the Lord. We might think, man, I can't go to church feeling like this. I can't go to church feeling this far from the Lord. That's the time when you need to go to church the most. 
That's the time when you need to gather with God's people the most because it's the tangible way you get to feel the nearness of God. It's a tangible way that God has designed. He says, gather together and you can feel the presence, my presence there. When we gather together, it makes that that future hope that we have of being with the Lord together. It makes it a reality. It's a foretaste of what we have to look forward to. The gathering of God's people makes nearness to him a reality. We can feel it. Number three, our gatherings make holding our confession a possibility. Our gathering, gathering together, makes holding our confession a possibility. Verse 23 says, so we got that first let's was let's draw near. The second let's is let's hold fast. Hold fast to what? The confession. Our confession of hope. So when it says the confession of our hope, it's, it's our belief system in general, but also that hope of being forgiven and redeemed and Jesus coming for us again. That's the hope that we hold to. That's the confession that we hold to. So he's saying, since Jesus has done this great work, let's hold on to what we believe. And let's hold on to what we hope because God is faithful. That's what he says at the end of verse 23. Let us hold this hope without wavering. Because, or for, he who promised is faithful. He's going he's gonna to fulfill his promise. He's going to do what he said. And we are tempted a lot of times to let go of that confession. We're tempted to let go of the things that we believe about Jesus. And we're tempted for a lot of different reasons. Maybe it's when we read the Bible, we don't understand it. So we're like, man, I can't, I can't hold this confession because I don't even know what the thing says. Sometimes sin is more appealing to us than holiness. Sometimes we think, man, I'd rather go do the things I want to do than, than hold this, than live this confession out. Sometimes we just get tired and worn out holding on to this confession. And since we're so often tempted to let go, we, need an, we often need a reminder of that confession. When we gather together, a lot of what we do at a gathering is Talk about the same old stuff that we've always talked about, isn't it? That's what Fanny Crosby's uh, hymn, Tell Me the Story of Jesus, says, Tell me the story of Jesus, write on my heart every word. It's an old hymn, but it's a good one. It says, write, write on my heart every word. It's that idea of um, putting God's word into your heart and hearing the same old story over and over and over again. A lot of times we talk about the gospel of Christ, uh, who Jesus is, what God has done for us, who we are in light of who Jesus is. And we do that because it, it, it's like re-watching your favorite TV show. Uh, you watch it again and again because you love it and it just reminds you how much you loved it before. That's what we're doing when we gather together on a Sunday morning. We're, we're in some sense hearing the same old story again so that we would remember, so that our hearts would be warmed up again, so that we would get a better grip on the confession that we're holding. You guys have probably all been part of a moving party, right? Somebody texts you and says, hey, would you help me move my stuff in or out of my house and I'll buy you what? Pizza, right? Everybody always gets pizza, right? When they help somebody move. You're moving that big old couch or that dresser and it's heavy. And those couches, they have the hideaway beds and those things weigh a ton and a half. And you're carrying that. And sometimes you've got to say, hold on just a second. I need to set this down. You set it down and you re-grab you re it, right? You, you change your hands to where it's not poking your hands as, as, as bad. You get, a, you get a new handle on that thing you're trying to carry. 
In some sense, that's what happens on Sunday mornings. You go through the week and you're trying to hold this confession that you have in Christ. This belief system um, that declares that God is real, man was made by him, that we've sinned, but Jesus has died for us. You're trying to live that out and hold that confession and it gets heavy and gets tired. Sometimes you need to come in, set that down for a little bit and reposition your hands so you can hold it better again. You've got to reset your grip. That's what Sunday mornings are. It's a time when we get to gather together as God's people and say, hey, let's Let's grab this confession again. Let's hold on to what Christ has done for us even more. That's why on Sunday mornings, we emphasize God's word so much, or at least I, te- I attempt to, I try to. We, and, and also in our vision statement, this is what we do as well. Our vision statement that we have as a church is becoming more like Jesus together. And it has three core uh, values that we have, word, community, and mission. That first one's word. We become more like Jesus through his word. So in our vision statement, we emphasize his word. And in our gatherings, we emphasize his word. We read the Bible, right? We have a a call to worship, a scripture reading, a benediction. We read the Bible out loud. We preach the Bible. Um, For the most part, we do um, expositional sermons, right? Take up passages of the Bible and just read it and explain it. Um, I've been doing some topical stuff recently. But even in that, it's still based on God's word, based on, on, on the Bible, We read the Bible, preach the Bible, we sing the Bible. I try to be very intentional about the songs we pick, that they would be filled with God's word, pointing us to biblical truth. We get when we gather together, we see the Bible. What are the ways that we see the Bible? Not just looking at this book, but we see the Bible come to life when we see people get baptized and when we take communion. That's seeing the Bible come to life. It's seeing somebody declare, I'm dead and I'm raised to life. It's seeing somebody say, I am participating with Jesus. Um, I identify with his death and his resurrection. I have a hope that he's coming back again. We see the Bible on Sunday mornings. All of this is done so that we can hold to this confession. Come to church, coming to church regularly allows you to get a, a renewed grip on the confession and allows you to re-up that commitment that you have to the Lord. It can get heavy, and if it is heavy, if you have trouble carrying this, the confession of our faith, then get to church so you can, be, you can have that commitment renewed. Number four, our gathering makes encouraging one another a possibility. Our gathering makes encouraging one another a possibility. In verse 24, it says, let us consider how to stir up one another in love, uh, to love and good works, not neglecting meeting together. That's where we're getting the gathering from. As it is the habit of some, but encourage one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Can you hear the intention that's in there? There's an intentionality that's there. Let us consider one another. That's the third let us. Let us draw near, let us hold fast, and let us consider other people. Let us consider one another. If you're going to consider something, it means you pause, you stop, you think through it, you take others into mind. So when we're gathering together, what we're doing is we're considering one another, how we might stir one another up. So when we come to a gathering, we, we're, we're being intentional. We're considering one another. You have to, for a moment... Set aside your wants, desires, your preferences, your feelings, and say, I'm going to think about their wants, desires, preferences, and feelings. What's going on in their life? How can I stir that person up? 
So there's intention and there's production, right? Let us stir one another up. Um, the idea, the picture of there is um, that, that word, um, stir one another up, it, it's more like incite. So um, you can use that in two different ways, right? You can, in the book of Acts, that term is used to um, when there's a, a, a mob that's incited to like violence, right? Or we can incite one another to good works. It's like spurring one another on. It's the spur that's on the cowboy boot on, on the, the horse when he kicks the, kicks the horse, right? When he does that, it's, say, it's trying to get that horse to get up and move and go and do something, right? That's what we're called to do to one another in a loving way, right? Uh, but we're to spur one another on. We're to, we're to kickstart one another because there's, as we know, there's a lot of times we go through a week and, man, we're like, I don't think I can do much for the Lord this week. But we can get stirred up by that brother who's excited, uh, we might feel, man, I, I, I'm having trouble being faithful to the Lord, but we can go and hear uh, the testimony of one of our sisters in Christ uh, proclaim uh, God's good work. And we can be encouraged by that and stirred up to love and good works. Gathering together is how we do that. He says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting meeting together. Not neglecting meeting together. So there's an intention, there's a production, and then there's also a, a future insight in this, right? He says, let us gather for good works, not neglecting to meet, as, meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. The day refers to that day that Christ comes back for his people. So as that day gets closer and closer, as we, that day draws near, it's more and more important for us to gather together. It's more important for us to be close to one another, gathering to one another. And how could we do some of these things that we're called to do if we weren't gathering together, if we weren't um, meeting together physically? It's hard to spur somebody on to love and good works with simply making a Facebook post or something like that. Uh, that only goes so far, right? But when we actually are in the same room as somebody, hearing them, talking with them, agreeing to what's being said, that does something different. So we need to gather together. So what are some practical implications we can take from that? I want you to take those, those four truths we just talked about. One, that our gathering together is grounded in Christ and his work. Two, that our gathering makes nearness to God a reality. Three, that our gathering makes holding our confession a possibility. And four, that gathering makes encouraging one another a possibility. Take those four truths, and I will have these two simple, practical applications for you from all that. Number one is this, make gathering a priority. Make gathering with God's people a priority in your life. You can't afford to miss the gathering because if you do, you miss out on all those things. You miss out on feeling God's presence on a regular basis. You miss out on that, on that reminder and that renewal of your confession to the Lord. And you miss out on people being able to spur you on toward love and good works. So make, being, um, um, make gathering a priority in your life. Some ways you might do that, a lot of people will, will say this, Sunday morning is a Saturday night decision, right? If you've got trouble making it to church on Sunday mornings, try setting out, picking the kids' clothes out the night before and setting them out, right? Try, you might try going to bed early or on a Saturday night. Hint, hint, Whitney. <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. And me too, me too. 
Um, you might prioritize and think going to bed earlier on a Sunday. What, what, what are the obstacles that make Sunday morning hard for you? And try to remove some of those things so that it might be a priority for you. So number one, make gathering a priority. And number two, make gathering intentional. Make gathering intentional. Before you come here in the mornings, do what you can to get prepared. Do what you can to get prepared. If you know the passage that we're going to be studying that morning, uh, if the preacher is, is, is uh, responsible enough to get that out to you, Go ahead and read that passage and get prepared uh, that week before. Read that passage. Um, most of the time, you can guess what I'm going to preach on the next day, especially when we're going through a book, right? If I've preached Ephesians 1, I'm probably going to preach Ephesians 2, right? So read in that. Get prepared. If there are some songs that, that you don't know that we sing, you can find those and sing those and, and learn the melodies to them. That goes for uh, some of the older folks in the congregation. If you don't know some of the new songs, you can practice those and learn those. And you younger people that might not recognize some of the older hymns, you can learn those too. You can get prepared to sing these songs and, and, and know those words that you might sing them um, together with God's people. right? So you can get prepared beforehand and you can participate during when you come to a gathering, don't waste this hour. There are people in this room that love the same God you love and want to live the same way you live. And they have the same struggles that you do. Getting up on Sunday morning is hard for everybody in here with kids, right? It's not just one of us. We all have the same difficulties that we go through. Don't waste the opportunity to sit down uh, and talk with somebody before church and just sit down and communicate with them. Don't, don't waste the opportunity to, to, to fellowship afterwards, right? There's lots of space in this room where you can sit down and talk with somebody, laugh with somebody afterwards, even say, hey, man, I, I'm really not looking forward to this work, uh, this work week. It's going to be really tough. I'm not going to have a good attitude. Pray for me real quick. You can do that, right? Before and after church, participate, um, like talk with people. Also, sing your heart out. When you come and gather, belt it out. There's no place else in the world where it's going to be completely okay for you to sing out and be pumped, like maybe in the shower and at church, right? Just sing out as excited as you can and, and feel those words that we're singing. Again, because that those words are hopefully uh, dripping with the Bible. So those two simple Practical applications. Number one, make gathering a priority. And number two, make gathering intentional. And if you do, I truly believe these realities that we talked about this morning will come to life. You're going to be reminded of Christ's work in your life. You're going to be uh, reminded of nearness to God. And that's going to be a reality to you. You're going to be able to hold on to the confession that we have as Christians. And you're going to be able to encourage one another and spur one another on to good works. Both you'll encourage them and they'll encourage you. If you, if you make these things, uh, if you make those simple applications, those truths will come to life in your life. And our gatherings together on Sunday mornings will be meaningful and glorifying to God. It'll be good for us and glorifying to Him. Let's pray.